Hello, and welcome to the third episode of the Behind the Edge podcast. This is a special one for a few reasons, uh, the most important one being that we are joined by our very first guest, Eric Ziliak. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks for having me on your podcast, the very first guest. Appreciate it. And uh, Eric is the owner and operator of Indiana Knives. If you live near Bloomington, Indiana, you can visit his retail location in the American Arms Gun Shop. Otherwise, check out his selection online at indianaknives.com. So we have some housekeeping to do. Uh, First, unfortunately, Vextos couldn't be here today because he's spending time with his family. So it's just going to be me, Caleb, and Jacob as the main hosts for today. Um, About the podcast name, this was mentioned in a previous episode, but behind the edge is a technical term that refers to the thickness of the blade at the transition from the primary bevel to the secondary or edge bevel. Um, It's just one part of blade geometry, some others being stock thickness, edge angle, stuff like that. Uh, We are not affiliated in any way with the differently named Behind the Blade podcast. And as far as I'm aware, Behind the Blade is not a technical term in the knife community. So um, yeah, I was asked about our name by a listener on Instagram, so hopefully that clears things up. Uh, About our host names, you already know me as Brian, Jacob is (laughs) Jacob, and uh, Echo's real name is Caleb. And Vextos' real name is Angelo. So there's that. A couple last things. Chris Lay, also known as Chris Lay Photography on uh, Instagram, he designed the logo for the podcast. So a big shout out to him because it looks amazing. I'm very happy with how that turned out. I don't know what you guys think about it. It looks looks great. Uh, I think he's still uh, going through different iterations (coughs) with it. But as far as I'm concerned, it's way better than just the black text that I had. Or the white text on black background. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the design in general, too. Just like the yeah. general layout and where you put the names and everything. Just I don't know. Yeah. I, it all appeals it's to very, me. So. It's very cartoony looking, and I just think that kind of fits the podcast. <laughs> you yeah, know, well, it's going to fit, fit that music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, music. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, if you sign up for the giveaway, our uh, the winner will be announced at some point during this episode. Um, follow our Instagram page at Behind the Edge Podcast for news, updates, giveaways, and other knife-related content. And that's all for housekeeping. So, okay, that, that, that was a lot. Normally, there's not going to be that much. Uh, okay, so quick pocket dump. Uh, let's start with you, Eric. What are you carrying today? Yeah, so I just had my ProTech Magic. Um, I had him do a custom one for me and laser engrave my logo on there for me. Yeah, you, you really like that knife, don't you? I've seen you have it show it off a lot on the Discord. Yep, that's generally my go-to. Yeah, so, isn't that the one that's got like the uh, the scale that like pops out, like it pops to the side or something like that? And then yeah, it's just like a bolt release. It. It's yeah. actually just a backlock design, but yeah, pretty simple but to take apart and maintain and stuff. But. Very cool auto. Um, Brian, you can go next. Uh, well, I have a really cool one. Um, I bought the blue exclusive Quiet Carry Drift, uh, which is, um, I don't know, some people have already seen me almost drop it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a really good catch. It's, yeah, but it's okay. The knife's okay. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> this is um, probably, in my opinion, um, it sort of uh, reminds me of the, of the Sebenza, not in terms of the look, but in terms of the quality. Because I, mm-hmm. I get I just get that feeling like the more I play with it, the more it's gonna break in, the easier it's gonna be to like thumb flick. It's already really easy to uh, spidey flick. Yeah. Um, but it looks like it would be. 
Yeah, it's um, one of those knives that you just get and you think to yourself, like, oh, like, the quality control is probably very consistent. Like, yeah. Um, I, I know that Staza had a drift that he measured at 14,000 BTE minus 13,000 wow. BTE, which you can attribute to, like, variation in just people's, you know, where they're measuring, right? Like, if it's 1,000, it's usually, like, more of that kind of variance. And then... Um, the heat treat is done by Peters, which they Rockwell test every single blade that they heat treat. So, you know, we know for certain that initially, at least, it did hit the intended Rockwell hardness. Um, so that's mm-hmm. cool. And then there's like, there's just, it's one of those knives where it's just like perfectly, um, like the lockup is solid, but there's no lockstick whatsoever, like not even a hint. So, I mean, yeah, this is actually the first knife that I've ever liked that didn't have lockstick. Um, because <laughs> most of the time i like a knife and it's despite the fact that it has a little bit of lock stick but i just like it overall mm-hmm. like the shiro neon light um you know it has some shiro stick but this knife i'm just like oh i like it and it doesn't have lock stick so that's that's yeah. awesome i lock stick ruins the knife a lot of times for me personally i just yeah, can't it's bad it, it can't get it past me. it um that drift it looks a lot like a ferrum forge design for some reason to me yeah i think it's the choil yep I would, yeah, I agree with that. It's it's very reminiscent of a Ferrum Forge, but I like that part about it. It's very, it, I don't it, know, ergonomic looking. It hurts me when you say that, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know that's a touchy subject for some people, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more. It is. It does have some Ferrum Forge elements, but it also has some like giant mouse biblio kind of. Yes. No. Feel. No. You're completely right. Yeah. I mean, I have the um. So that that's a good segue, actually. Um, into uh, what I'm carrying today. So I have the um, Fox Knife Suru, which is a Vox Naze design. Um, and yeah, definitely they look very, very similar. similar, very similar looking knife. This knife... Yeah, I think I um, saw that the other day. I ordered in one of those for a customer once and I really impressed by it but it's it's really interesting right so this is a discord pass around that we're doing this is our paid pass around so like like i don't know 20 20 something odd people are like passing around this knife throughout the discord around the uh, north america um and it's an m390 blade and a carb full carbon fiber handle and even the lock bar itself is carbon fiber so that's the probably the most interesting part about it to me is like even it's all it's just completely one chunk of carbon fiber um with a lock bar insert as you know that's the part of the lock um so i don't know it's really interesting it's got kind of high lock bar tension um and the action i think i think because of that the action kind of suffers but overall i'm really impressed by it it's a little bit pricey um it's like just a little a hair shy of like three hundred dollars so it's kind of up there yeah it's it's i think i i could be wrong but it's it's about it's over two hundred dollars 270 ish yeah um Um, so it has multiple versions right like there is a titanium there is a titanium version yes um so that would i i'm tempted to buy this knife um (laughs) i think i would buy the titanium version over the carbon fiber just because i'd be worried about anything going wrong like uh gerald from was outpost 76 on instagram or something like yeah, that yeah on I instagram think. and youtube yeah. he yeah he commented on my instagram post which if you don't follow me it's echo gecko knives um he commented that his suru developed um lock rock so oh. yep 
So, and uh, I think he's talking about the same, like, carbon fiber yeah. configuration. So, I, that might be something to look look to by the end of the pass around, see if it develops any, because it's already been, I, I took it apart, and it's already uh, well worn in. So, we'll have to see what happens with it. But I really like it so far. It's really nice. Um, probably the, one of the best knives, uh, best choils on a knife that I've experienced. So, pretty cool. So Jacob, what are you carrying? Um, I'm carrying the Benchmade Megumi today. It's one of their uh, discontinued designs. It's it's a really really cool little knife. It's carbon fiber and wood, um, with a very sharp thumb stud with a wooden inlay. It's really classy looking. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to keep it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they're somewhat difficult to get, but yeah, I've I don't, never heard I don't of this. Carry it enough. Um, so it has a really cool thing called a, a knack lock. That's mm-hmm. basically this uh, Spyderco smock locking mechanism. Right. Um, just a little bit stiffer and a little bit smaller, but it's the same same basic lock. And it's the only one that I've seen Benchmade use that lock on is this knife. Yeah, oh, that's kind of cool looking. I just looked it up right now. That carbon fiber, um, like, between the wood. Yeah, it's it's a really, really cool design. Interesting. Yeah, I've never never heard of it. That's cool. How long ago cool. did make those? I'm not sure. Um... Oh, it's been discontinued uh, for a few years. It has that Saibu uh, inlay in the thumb stud too. Yeah, it's a Nakamura design. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that vibe from it for sure. <laughs> and the thumb studs, the thumb studs, really sharp. So it comes. It's kind of flared on the top, which mm-hmm. is f- would be fine normally, but it's so small it really digs into your thumb. It's it's yeah. not super comfortable to open. That's for sure. Yeah, that's kind of so the thumb hole on the Suru, I forgot to mention, it's actually pretty sharp. So, like, that's kind of a flaw it has. It's, it's kind of like when I uh, middle finger flip, it, it it can be thumb flicked and middle finger flipped really well. But when I middle finger flip it, you can see it just like, you know, shreds the top of my fingernail, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of annoying, but oh well. yeah, I should mention, um, you know, for the drift, it's the exact opposite. The thumb hole is so uh heavily chamfered that like it, it doesn't matter for the middle finger flick but um when you're trying to do that thumb flick like it's kind of slippery which is why i almost dropped it uh the first time so yeah if the thumb hole is too rounded out when you try to open it with your thumb i have the same issue on a lot of knives like that it's just too it's too like like you said rounded so the slope you just kind of slide off every single time if the detent's strong enough yeah mm-hmm. so that that's the only unfortunate thing but other than that great knife yeah, it looks like a great knife. Uh, I actually am now looking at it. I'm really like the like back, like I guess the screws or whatever. Are they flat? Uh like, yes, they are completely flush. Interesting. Yeah, it's really cool then, looking. Yeah, and then it it also has um how do I put it? These like I think it's a thing that Quiet Carry does where they do like small milling marks, not like holes. Yeah, those those like four dots. Yeah, the four dots. I I really just like that. I don't know. Like it's just like just having them right there. It just <laughs> makes something that it looks, looks really cool. Otherwise, really plain, have a little bit of like an accent to me. So it's like yeah, a non-obtrusive. The, yeah, it's like a non-obtrusive bandits. design. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like the Suru I have, which has like. Uh, you know, <laughs> it looks like I mean, Brian went to town on it with his yeah, press. It's just got a million holes all over it. I know, this, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't like that if they have like trypophobia or whatever. You know, that yeah. fear of like you know, holes. I did that and I didn't like it after I did it. 
It oh, is kind of ugly. Oh, yeah, and Rowdy. Oof. Yeah, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> that it looks so bad. <laughs> it, it, it's dead. <laughs> That's That's Brian, Brian, you've killed a lot of knives lately. I feel. Yeah, like. it's for science though. It's all good. What What's mm-hmm. the What's the science that you're conducting? Uh, well, sometimes science <laughs> is about accidental discoveries. So you kind of just <laughs> do stuff, and then you know you might accidentally discover something good right uh-huh i suppose yeah, exactly yeah so anyway um upcoming knives and news so uh like uh like we mentioned i'm carrying the quiet carry drift the um this is the blue exclusive so it's cerakoted titanium that sold out but tomorrow which is when this episode will likely be released at some point um so we don't yes. know what time but uh the quiet carry drift will be back in stock <laughs> the non-exclusive version so i'm assuming that's just gonna be not seracoded and uh that's kind of cool um i wonder if that's gonna sell out too um i would assume probably yes i haven't heard any word on how many of them they're doing but they're super popular at the moment at least Mm -hmm. among the discord group um a lot of people want them yeah and i haven't seen anything bad about them on uh you know instagram or anything so i expect that there's gonna be a decent amount of hype yeah, I've never heard anything bad about Quiet Carry in general, actually. I, yeah, I yeah, yeah, a lot that's, of people like yeah. them. I haven't heard anything bad either. I, I just hear people saying like, "Oh, they're always out of stock." <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's because people have, like them so much. I have the Strand from them. Um, it has a bit of like lock rock, but I think that's just from from it being beat on a bit. Um, but overall, it's a it's a really good knife. I really don't have any complaints about it. The and Strand with is the also design out of stock, more right? Ergonomic, um, I believe so. I picked it up from um someone on Discord for like fifty dollars. Yeah, and that's like also that. a cheaper one. So yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I think new they're like one twenty five or something. Mm-hmm. This one's what? Yeah, they're well, it looks like they have two of the versions available do, on their site. Is um? Do they have a price yet on the regular drift? I think it's two seventy. I, I want to say it's two seventy, but that's more than double the strand. So yo yeah oh yeah for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the strand's yeah. also using like D two or something. So this. The drift is like a whole nother league, in terms of everything, as far as I can tell. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I would imagine you know everything from not just the blade steel, but also fit and finish, um, everything yeah, like that materials. is going to be better. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love this knife. It's great. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so just want to let people know that sold out. It seems like it's going to be a popular knife. If you manage to hear about it uh, beforehand, you should definitely grab one. In my opinion. I think the quality control is going to be pretty consistent. So if yeah. all of if ours are good, I would assume yours will be good as well. Um, if it's not sold out by the time this podcast airs, which will yes. probably be around like 8 p.m. Monday or something like that. Oh, so Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> good luck. Good luck, everyone. And yeah. yeah. Uh, tell us if you got it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of good luck. Um, so the next piece of news we want to talk about is. Um, and we mentioned how funny it is that this is even used, but it, it really is. Um, there is a Shamwari clone that came out recently. It is by uh, SMKE, which I still don't know what that stands for. What does that stand for? Does anyone know? MSKE? No, SMKE. No. Uh, I don't know. Because I, I read that I was like SMK and my in my brain I was following. I was like, oh, I know that. That's Smoky Mountain Knife. <laughs> and, then, and then it was a yeah. E. Someone on the someone on Discord uh, made up a, a word for the last <laughs> letter there, but we can't say it on here. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't. 
That was me, know. but uh, it's okay. I, I'm. <laughs> but anyway, so it's um, it's on AliExpress, and there's some interesting details about it, right? Um, or there's some details about it that make it interesting. So first of all, it's uh, there are two versions. One is in Damascus. I think it's VG10 based, and the other is an M390, which they actually welcome you to test. Um, so they say it's uh, between what 60 to 61 HRC. So there's that. It's um, same thing as the normal titanium and whatever. But it, the design, the profile is actually a little bit different. In addition to it being 3.5 inches instead of the 3 inch that the Wii production Shamari is going to be. So those are some uh, details that make it more interesting for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> I don't know. What do you guys think about this one? Um, it's definitely very cool. <laughs> it's expensive, actually, is my first thought for a clone. I guess I always think of clones being like fifty-ish dollars for like oh, a some, decent some one. Some of them get up to like two or three hundred. Yeah. Well, I know the Shiro ones, uh, the Shiro clones can get very expensive. Um, but I mean, I think this is gonna be something that people are just gonna buy. I mean, regardless of your um, like philosophical beliefs about buying a clone. Um, this is going to be something that a lot of people buy because they want to test out a Shiro that isn't, um, you know, $2,000, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I'm normally really, really against clones, honestly, from just a moral standpoint. I think it's kind of crap. Um, n- not to, not to tear anyone apart that has a Shiro clone, but if you pay $300 for a Shiro clone, just buy one you use or something like that for five or six. Anyway, um, this one though, like you mentioned, if you want a Shamwari, it's like two grand. Wii is dropping a production model, but there aren't going to be that many. And even those are going to be probably $100 more than this. So if, you, if you're broke and you want to try out a Shamwari and you can't get the Wii one, this is going to be about your only option, really. Yeah, I mean, well, people, buy, this, yeah. <clears throat> people buy Sabenza clones like crazy. So I assume this is kind of the same, you know, market. <laughs> well, this <laughs> is going to be people. the new thing because you actually can't buy Sabenza clones anymore. Really? I yeah, they, they, don't, they, they don't. Well, they don't make them anymore. The coloners they've moved mm-hmm. on. So this is one of the things they're moving this, on to. And let's be real, this is, not, this is not much different, right? The Shamwari is a front flipper Sabenza, in my opinion. That's not a bad yeah. thing necessarily, but that's what it is. So it's still it's still a um, <clears throat> still a front flipper though, which is uh, yeah pretty yeah. unique. And um, but yeah, there. So if for people on like you know because. I think generally uh, most of us are against like clones in general. Um, so, for example, like uh, so people draw the line at different places. Almost everyone says counterfeits are bad. So if you actually have like the exact same details and the logo, and you try to pass it off as real, that we consider pretty much everyone considers that to be bad. Um, yeah. When it comes to clones, where it's obvious that it's not the real thing, like for example, this isn't even remotely the same size. They actually changed the shape a little bit. Um, then it gets a little murkier where people go, okay, well, you know, we're not trying to pass it off as real because there's no way anyone who knows anything about knives could think this is the real one. Because mm-hmm. uh, it it's has not no like, logo or anything. Yeah. So. It's not like they're it's not like they're like trying to brand it as a shamwari. Right. They're like, not trying to sell you know? it as like as a fake to trick someone. Basically, mm-hmm. it's not like um, it's not like a fake. It's a clone. Like if if you. I guess that kind of has di- a me- different meaning in the knife world. Right. And you know? so where people draw the line there sometimes is they say, okay, well, even if it's not trying to pass off as a fake, it can take away business from the uh, maker or the original creator of the design, right? That's a people- And that's where right. I would normally stand at. But in this case, 
you can't get them. Yeah, yeah so that, that's where I normally stand to where I'm like, okay, well, it's still bad because it hurts the business of the maker or the, or the company that creates them. Um, but this is one of those situations where I am, I have sincere doubts that there will be enough Wii production shamwaris for everyone. I think it'll be very much like the Drift, where these just sell out quickly. There's way more hype for them than the Drift, and you know, yep. And they're not making that many uh, because for some reason Gareth Bull wants to sell them on his own instead of through Wii. Uh, so and he's not giving them rights to the design either. <clears throat> so it's literally just going to be a small batch run, like a sprint run almost. Uh, I I don't think that's going to last. How is that going to work anyway? That he's like selling it on his whole own. Is he having them like? manufacture the knife and then he QC, qc's it himself uh in, well okay so in theory he'll qc them i don't actually know if he will but uh right. but yeah in theory so they'll make it they send it to him he should qc them and then he will and then you buy it directly from him so he ships it himself um, Interesting. and th- everything from warranty and stuff would all go through him in theory uh, quick question he <laughs> still lives in south africa right uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, so for shipping purposes does it make a lot of sense to do that versus i yeah because eric think... you probably know shipping to like internationally is super expensive yep that's generally why i avoid doing it it's just such a big hassle for a smaller business to do so generally yeah just stick to I, the I, have, States. I have no idea why he's doing it this way um i'm not a fan of it because he doesn't have the best reputation in terms of customer service at the moment I don't not, see why he wouldn't just send them to dealers, mark up the price a little bit. Yeah, you know, so or just have, have it sold through Wii. Wii has an excellent reputation. Nobody's ever been like, oh, I didn't get my knife from Wii, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I just don't I don't understand the decision. But either way, um, the point being that these knives are going out um, and they're probably going to get sold out, at which point, you know, if you want a Shamori and you can't afford the $2,000 ones, uh, you, the clone might be a, an okay choice. Um, I mean, even morally speaking, it might be okay because it's not going to hurt the business of the maker at the point where you're not making enough for them to sell out anyway. So yeah, no know. one's sitting there with two grand in their pocket going, "Oh, do I buy the clone?" Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> no. If you're if you're in the market for a shamwar, you're going to get real shamwar. Right. So if you have the two K like on hand, easy, you know, great, you're going to get a real one as soon as it comes up. You're not even going to consider the clone. Um, if you are looking at the production version, which is three hundred. And then you see this clone version, which is 160, it's kind of closer there. And you might think to yourself, okay, well, if I can't get the Wii one, maybe I'll get the clone. Or alternatively, you might think, you know, um, my hand is a little bit too big for the three inch clone or for the three inch real one. I might go for the 3.5 inch clone because I like the design, but you know, whatever. So there, it's definitely a little murkier, I think, in this case um, than in most other cases. Uh, because yeah. you know a Shiro, you can still buy all the time, right? Like, for in terms oh, yeah. of Shiro clones, like when you when you buy a, a like an M three ninety clone Shiro for three hundred, uh, and instead of the real one for five hundred, like you are kind of taking away business from the original maker in some sense. Um, yeah, I'm I, not a fan of that. Yeah, I don't think that's the case here. I think uh, most people can be okay with just getting the clone here because I really don't think those Wii ones are going to last very long. Yeah, and uh, also I too want to point out, even though we don't agree with it, doesn't mean we think you're a bad person if you do buy clones. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. that we personally don't morally. Um, yeah, that that that's completely up to you. Um, yeah, especially you know for some people like the funds are a big deal. It's one fifty yeah. to three hundred isn't a massive jump to me, but for some people that's 
that's night and day, you know? Right. right. And well, yeah, it's like two of the same knife, <laughs> you yeah. know? So, and, and, you know, that's the thing, like, it's one of those, it's one of those things um, where we, we don't like it ourselves, but you know, we have friends in the discord who buy clones, right. And we were, oh, yeah, we're still sure. friends with them. Like we still like them and everything, but uh, yeah. we just disagree on that one thing. And so it's not like, it's not, I mean, look, buying a clone is not like murdering someone where we have to unequivocally be like, oh, that's bad. You're bad. You know, <laughs> like, it's <laughs> like you bought a clone. Okay, great. You just don't share our belief in terms of it matters that it hurts the makers. Maybe you think it doesn't hurt the makers for different reasons. Cause that's an argument too. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, for Striders, the clones actually help. Right. Um, and right. Strider himself has said he doesn't care about clones. Like he doesn't think it hurts his business. So, you know, it depends. I also don't know anyone who buys Striders. So Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I'm just saying it, it depends on the market and the context, I think. Context is I actually, important. I actually have yeah. a uh, – I, I know a person that uh, lives in my neighborhood back in my hometown that buys Striders. Interestingly, Ooh. only person, only person I know that buys Striders. I have so. a couple of guys that come into the shop that – they have a few striders but it's pretty rare yeah yeah oh and and a uh a knife um like a local dealer i had uh, he he also owned some striders personally so those are the yeah. only two people i know that own striders and sh- like that i've ever met there's a lot of them i just haven't met them yet <laughs> yep. i just know there's like, a lot of them <laughs> i like striders i think they're I, I like their design i know there's like you know um varying opinions about them but i like i kind of think the design looks cool i will say i tried out the uh, strider protect collab thing mm-hmm. um at a at a dealer a couple hours from me it was actually pretty nice um it, it may have just been protect's quality but it was it was pretty good oh, oh yeah. well protect, I mean, protect, protect is, is good it was the small one yeah i have green one in the shop but yeah they don't look like they'd be as ergonomic as they are but yeah they're it's really surprising yes completely agree and that's that's where actually um that argument comes in so um someone on the discord sent me to for a regrind a clone uh smg i think it was i don't know which model but it was it was a strider clone strider and i i I had ridden off striders completely because i was just like I mean, there's a lot of reasons to write it off, but uh, I was like, I always thought they just weren't very good knives. And then like just the design wouldn't be comfortable, things like that. And I held it and I was like, oh, wait, the basic design is actually not bad. Um, Yeah, I was actually very much impressed by the design, even though when you look at it, it looks blocky. Uh, It really didn't feel that way to me. So Um, and I'm still not going to buy one for different reasons, uh, not related (laughs) to the the knife, uh, but, you know, more the person. But um Besides right. that, like I can see why for some people they would hold a clone and be like, "Oh, maybe I want the real one," and they could actually help his business in that way. Yeah, uh, Brian, I feel like every time you uh, you you fi- we finish talking about a certain knife, you go, "Uh, but I'm still not going to buy one." <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't well, buy knives. Here's the, you know well, that here, I know. Yeah, well, here's the thing, right? Is that when I say I'm, I never say I'm going to buy a knife, I just already buy it. <laughs> right. Yeah. You like, just acquire it. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna Bam. be like, oh, that looks, you know. I'm just, I'm almost always just like, I'll grab it at the time, like, that's yeah, how it is. <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Um, moving on, uh, Timascus Damasteel fifth twenty. So, oh no, oh no, I, I want a fifth twenty so bad. I'm, I'm gonna for sure get one. Um, if I can get one in time. But when I saw the Timascus, it was just the a picture of the bolsters. Um, I don't have it unfortunately. It was on their story, but. 
I freaked out and I was like, I would love to replace the Zerk with Time Mask because that'd be great. And then I went to their website and the listing is for the Time Mask's Damasteel 520. And it is literally more than double the price. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like oh, the uh, is this listing? The regular one is five eighty. This one's twelve seventy. Yeah, I was, that's what I was about to ask. Is like, is this listing price accurate? <laughs> yes. Oh that's man, I'm, there's insane. no way. The fifth twenty. Can I say hell on this podcast? <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, yes. That's that's. Yes. There's no way in hell I'm buying a thirteen hundred dollars CKF. Just, but I mean, even me. the base model, though, I look at it and it is the hands down the most gorgeous front flipper. Um, I have seen I know. today. I want one like, so bad. Like current so, so bad. or upcoming, the most gorgeous front flipper today, which is why it it's makes me beautiful. so sad. <laughs> because okay, look, like this, this is a not. I'm not going to call it a design flaw because it's something that's not going to matter to 99.9 percent of people. But you know how um, where the Ricasso is, like that's where the stop pin contacts. Uh, where it's kind of like it contacts at the sharpening choil, if that makes sense. So as you mm-hmm. sharpen and sharpen and sharpen the knife, eventually you are going to sharpen away the the area where the stop pin contacts, and that's going to cause problems. The thing is, that's not that's never going to happen for like most people because who cuts enough to actually sharpen well, back yeah. that unless far? Unless you unless you slap this thing on a tormac and go to town, yeah, you're hurting yes. me. <laughs> but it, it is it is just don't, a theoretical thing. That bothers me where I'm just like, why couldn't they just make it an internal stop it? Like, why? Just add a secondary a secondary sharpening choil. Just right above it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I, just for that reason alone, I can't buy it. But um, I, I completely still think it is the most gorgeous front flipper on wait. the market. I still Ugh. think that, you know, the fit and finish is probably going to be excellent because CKF, all the ones I've had were excellent. Um, and I still think the heat treat's going to be fine. So... You know, it's still going to be a winner of a knife, just not for me. And I hate to say that because you just said I always say it's not for me, but it's it's, it's really not. I just don't want this knife. I'm not going to buy it's definitely it. Literally nitpicking sharpening choils to, like, stop you from buying the knife. <laughs> yeah, definitely cool looking. Um, I, yep, yep. You think you'll get one, Eric? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't imagine I would get of one of these especially a, a 1270 no way i think i said on a previous podcast uh above a thousand dollars is just a no for me a thousand dollars you're stepping into a whole other world of knives and i really can't believe that i'm i'm sure they're gonna sell you know there's people that just love ckf but they're not gonna sell one to me hey man there's people that buy norsemans and shamwaris so yep. i mean this will probably sell That's true um, so I accidentally like skipped I'm one of our with like three hundred dollar knife range to carry, and yeah, like thousand dollar knives are just a little bit much for my personal taste. But yeah, I'm more like uh, most of my knives are around like a hundred and forty dollars. That's like just where it falls. I don't know why. I think my highest one goes up a little above five, but most of my stuff is like you said, Eric, in that like sub three hundred dollar range. Yeah, because um, I'm, I'm not worried about hurting it. it. Yes. Um, yeah. I'll spend under a thousand. <laughs> Anything under a thousand. Oh, we know, Brian. <laughs> yeah, we know. <laughs> that, that's Frickin that's all good. Chris Reeve, two weeks in. <laughs> but uh, um, other than that, um, yeah. I, see, there's there's a reason not to go over a thousand though, and that's because it's it is so hard to find a maker who the only reason the knife costs over a thousand is because of like Timascus or something, you know? Yeah. Like, and I, I just don't care for that, right? I'm like, eh, Tamascus, whatever. I don't like how it looks. So I'd rather get a, a, a less expensive version in a in what I think is a classier material. 
Yeah. That's why I'm glad they're offering two tiers of this, too. They're not just selling a $1,300 version. They're selling one that it's not affordable. I'm not going to sit here and call it affordable. It's stupid and it's a lie. <laughs> but it's it's a bit more feasibly priced for most people. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so I accidentally skipped on our upcoming knives uh, news list. Um, the oh Penna the Penna front flipper that sold out fast. Uh, yeah, around I heard like twenty minutes. Yeah, twenty minutes. Um, you know, personally, I feel like that's um, I don't know. That is fast, but I've I've been in the rush to Spyderco sprints. You know, uh, like at three minutes or less. You know, so. <laughs> Yeah, this is uh, but this is still impressive because it is a completely different thing. That's true. Um, we have never seen on a production level a front flipper traditional knife, right? It's um, been, yeah, been hyped yeah, for so except long. For his, yeah. Except for his customs. Yeah, I mean on the production level, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So not as far as I can remember. And you know, every single version of it also sold out. Not just the uh, nice looking micarta ones, but in my opinion, the not as nice looking jig titanium. <laughs> I, actually kind of like I know. <laughs> Gosh, I just thing... I don't like jig titanium. I mean, <laughs> this thing is me. expensive. I'm surprised. Is it? Yeah, that's why I was really surprised well, when it was gone. We're, well, we're well, that's about... why I'm saying, yeah, it's two hundred eighty dollars. That is yeah. that is around. Yeah. It could be a little bit more even than the production Shamwari. Sham. So yeah. I'm like, if this sold out, then I'm pretty that's sure the more hyped Shamwari with less numbers made is going to sell out like i'm pretty i honestly sure. think it's going to be kind of like crew carta to a degree um oh it's gonna be gross which the secondary market dumping bad oh, oh, God. I, they're probably gonna double for sure <laughs> yeah definitely this thing's really yeah, cool looking, they're though. doing another version of the micarta shaman i don't know what steel they're gonna use yet but i mean they could use z-wear it's literally the same thing as crew wear but it would technically be a new <laughs> sprint <laughs> If they buy, if they do another color, I may jump on it and just sell this one. I, I don't mind it. I I love the knife, but that like brown isn't my favorite. Oh, the shaman. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm personally not even a fan of the shaman. It just does. Uh, it's too big. It's too big. You're you're really making <laughs> making me dislike you in this episode. <laughs> it's I know, but I, I understand that. It's 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 a, it's a, it's a it also the, needs nub delete. Yeah, that's what I was gonna bring up, Brian. That's was that the me. nub? slaps into your finger so okay, we don't want did you snag one of those for yourself eric the, the shaman did i keep one no i got less than i was expecting to get so i just gave them all the customers that wanted them yeah that sucked by the way you do you want to tell people what happened there <laughs> <laughs> oh it, it just it was so sought after that they just didn't make as many as <laughs> as the market demanded so just had to kind of scout some from distributors and wherever else to get as many as I could, but they were pretty hard to find. Yeah. I actually, um, I wanted to get one through from you, but I had found out what, like way too late. There were people like on a waiting list. You had said, yeah, um, I had like so 30 I, people wanting them like just uh, on my list. And crazy. I lucked out. <laughs> um, there was a somewhat local place to me called going gear. Um, they got in four of them. Wow. And they sat on their website. They didn't announce them at all, except an Instagram story. Sat on their website for like an hour, and I managed to grab the last one. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. I was, wow. I was like freaking out. <laughs> when I contacted them to ask how many they, they had, and they said four, I was like, this is going to be bad. This is a, <laughs> this is a rough launch. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Um, so with that, 
it's probably time to move on to the um the homily of the day <laughs> knife collecting um slash making topic preferences um so brian do you want to lead us off on how we're going to talk about this yeah so preferences is obviously a very like broad term um but what we specifically want to talk about are uh not necessarily nitpicks but just things that um are critical to design that are sort of optional so for example like it is not optional to not heat treat your knife right <laughs> like that's not a preference i mean that's, well whatever <laughs> and, and but generally speaking we accept that a knife has to be heat treated it you know it needs to have an edge you know those aren't preferences what we but what our preferences are things like you know tip up versus tip down carry do you like drop shut action or do you like slower hydraulic action like a sabenza um, do you like hollow grinds or flat grinds? You know, stuff like that. Those are what we <laughs> considered it to be preferences. So uh, I think we just want to talk about what our preferences are and sort of explain why we have those preferences. Mm -hmm. And then also go into a little bit about why it matters how we think of other people's preferences, like how we should treat people who have preferences that are different from us. Yeah. Um, so that's that's sort of we treat them like scum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I think I'll start off with like my preferences on knives and kind of what I I guess look for and what I end up liking. I mean, uh, we'll start with the basics. I mean, obviously, um, I'm always a tip up. You know, I'm I'm the purest. You know, in the if you're like a collector in the knife community, if you're not uh, carrying tip up there's you know people say there's something wrong with you um so <laughs> or they'll get I, I prefer... mad at makers right they'll be like how could you not make this tip up you know yeah yeah like the <laughs> um like the full-size spyroco military i think is only tip down isn't it yes yes yeah so like you know i don't know i i prefer tip up personally um i don't i don't even know if there's really a big reason why it's just oh well okay i would the the main reason why is because um, it keeps the blade out of the way of my hand in the pocket, you know, so whatever, not big deal for me to, uh, really because I wear like sweatpants a lot. So I'm not, you know, I have big pockets, but I prefer a tip up, um, in terms of like, uh, drop shutty versus hydraulic. Um, I guess I, it, it varies, uh, I, drop shut like, okay. So this Suru, right. It's actually, it's action, even though it's on bearings, it actually does feel hydraulic, I guess because of the high lock bar tension. Um, so it's not, it's not like really false shutty at all. I, of course, when I, I try to demonstrate for myself, it, it falls shut that one time, <laughs> but it's not really that false shutty at all. Um, so like, and this knife I like a lot, but I guess typically I, I fall towards, um, the drop shut actions like especially like the pm2 like just how it you know a compression lock when you when you release the lock and it falls shut like you know there's nothing more satisfying <laughs> you know yeah um, well let's let's go back to uh tip up versus tip down then and like i guess we can just like talk about each yeah thing, no right? that's just, that's, yeah. that's fair so is everyone kind of tip up here yes yeah <laughs> I mean, I am tip up too. Uh, all of my knives are tip up carry. That being said, the reason why I put it as the first thing to discuss is because, like you mentioned, the Spyderco Military, that is a tip down only knife. 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people with bigger hands like the Spyderco military, and they have complained to Spyderco saying, "Why tip down? Tip up is the only way." Yeah. And so I had so when Darth came over to my house to do the electrical work on my oven, he let me try out his military, um, and so I put it in my pocket, and I was like, "Wait a second, tip down is better here. Like for this one knife in this specific case, uh, tip down mm-hmm. is just better." And Why the reason. Was that? Is, so the reason is because, like you said, um, in most cases, the blade is not going to open in your pocket with a strong enough detent, right? Right. But when you pull it out and it's tip, uh, it's tipped down on the military, it's so big. And where – so imagine your index finger and your thumb oh. on the pivot. When you pull it out, it's right next to the spider, the spidey hole. So you just – Instead yeah. of you having to like readjust exactly. your grip. Exactly. You don't need to readjust your grip. So it is okay. faster to deploy that way. Um, much easier. You don't need to like move the knife in your grip at all. So it's actually way more yeah. efficient. Mm. That actually so. makes a lot of sense because I'm thinking about like just with the Suru, like pulling it out of my pocket. It's so small that obviously I can basically immediately get to the hole or the flipper. But I can see with the military it being so big that you it might be more beneficial to have it uh, tipped down. Right. And so many people love the military. And I think that might be part of the reason why is that in their daily use, they just it's so easy for them to deploy, like, just pull it out of your pocket, your hands already in the perfect position, and you just flick it open. So yeah. that, that this is one of the reasons why I think it's important for people to have a reason for their preferences, not just copy, you know, popular YouTube mm-hmm. personalities. And yeah, actually, I yeah, I wanted to kind of touch on that. Uh, because I feel like um, a lot of uh people when they get in the hobby even like myself i feel like you know you start watching the big knife youtubers like nick shabazz and Mm -hmm. you know like me yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah you start watching (laughs) jacob no i i feel like everyone starts off now with like nick shabazz because he's so big now that it's just like that's where i started yeah um and i think you know a lot of people they kind of model their views on what is a good aspect of a knife based on what Nick Shabazz tells them. And that's not Nick Shabazz's fault. It's just Nick, he's saying, Nick is saying what he likes about a knife. And you're kind of being um, impressioned to like those same things by watching those videos, you know? So, right. I, don't know, that's so just... I, have, I have not watched Nick Shabazz's Spyderco military review, but mm-hmm. I have seen other videos where he has just said, tip up is the only way. So, I'm going to assume that he said that's a bad thing about the military. But like I said, I haven't watched it yet because, um, I mean, it just wasn't a knife I was interested in at the time. <laughs> right. So The reason I don't like the, the tip um, tip down thing is just, especially when I'm trying to choke up on a knife, I really don't want anything right there near the pivot, mm-hmm. like where I'm yeah, trying yeah. to get my fingers up to. Yeah. Um, so I, I've, I've owned a couple that have been uh, tipped down for sure. Um, one of my favorites is the CRKT Fulcrum 2. Really cool opening mechanism, really slim knife. But I couldn't like choke up on it very well because that clip kept getting in the way mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like taking it off. So it left. But in some cases, like you said, with the military, it makes more sense that way. Yeah. So it, definitely that like makers need to keep all of that in mind. Like what's easier to access once you take it out of the pocket? Um, what's still comfortable when you're gripping it? Right. Because if maybe tip up does make it too bulky in the area where your index finger is going to be like wrapping around the handle. That's possible, too. So. Definitely a lot of interesting things there, but I don't think it's as black and white as people are, you know, have been saying for a long time. Um, no, it, it shouldn't be definitive. It, it's become kind of a joke almost. Yeah, <laughs> the whole, it, like, it really like, has. like I mentioned, like you're just wrong if you sit down. <laughs> exactly. It, 
it's it's not that you're wrong. Um, I just think that you should try out both and go from there. Yeah. Right. And here's another thing. Um, so if you looked at the Alliance uh, Alliance video where they were showing off the Slim Pickens, oh, yeah. um, there was another knife that they also showed uh, that was sort of like very thin and narrow. I don't know what the name was, but it was uh, tip down only. And I, I thought, wow, that's really interesting because it's probably not going to sell. <laughs> like, yeah, just, think, just based I on that. I think that definitely affects like buying purchase or purchasing decisions. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to do a tip down carry knife in this, I don't know, meta, we'll call it, um, you need to explain yourself. You need to convince people. Yeah, you need people, to have a really good reason. Right? You cannot just throw it on there and hope people figure it out themselves because they are not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Like that, like the CRKT CEO, like they they gave a reason for it. I still disagree with that reason, but they gave a reason for it and, and they kind of got away with it. But yeah, you, you kind of need to explain yourself nowadays. That also mainly pertains to collectors. I feel like a lot of like um people that just walk into walmart and you know buy a spider co tenacious that's like oh they don't it's care. like you know it, it starts out like tip down or whatever they're you know they're they don't care they don't know which would be better you know so i actually um had a have a friend who um he's kind of into some knives and i've given him a few um but he actually prefers tip down he's complained about tip up carry like pocket clips on knives before mm-hmm. and he, he's never given me a reason i'll have to ask him but i found that very odd it's probably and, you know in some ways that could be more legitimate because he's probably just using the knife as a person would use their knife and realizing mm-hmm. oh there are some flaws whereas for us we're so conditioned to think that tip up is the only way that we ascribe we like don't blame the tip up but we'll blame something else for us being frustrated you know well we just need to uh, stop putting pocket clips on knives and stop <laughs> making them folding and just start carrying things. Stop, yeah. start making them magnets. Just, yeah. just. <laughs> um, actually, Jacob, it might be because that um, your friend just likes the uh, likes likes what he's used to. You know, like maybe he's that's that's what my assumption is because he's very much used to like flea market gas station knives. <laughs> yeah. Um. So him getting he's like why is even though why I, is I the gave him like a better knife, down. he just doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He didn't like it. I'm yeah, I've always been says, curious why the PM2 comes tipped down from the factory. I mean, you can switch it around, obviously, but I always end up pretty much every time I sell one in the shop, flipping it around forever, just buying it. Yeah, yeah, because the PM2, at least for me, is a fine size to like pull out of the pocket and deploy. Um, if you have smaller hands, I guess, but they make the PM3 for that. I'm not sure so. what <laughs> I'm not sure what Sp- uh, Spiderco's like thought process is on that because they sell a, a ton of production knives like so for example the shaman isn't the shaman four-way carry like you could yeah um and that comes tip up right yes mine yeah i'm pretty sure everyone comes tip up so i wonder why some come like they're coming from the same golden colorado factory (laughs) so i'm wondering why some are tip up and some are tim down you know i'm actually the internal it's the internal struggle within the company (laughs) yeah what if the the shaman's more geared towards like knife collectors and the PM2 is more geared towards yeah, that's probably people it. who use yeah, their I don't knives? Yeah, know of any non collector that, that picked it. up a Krukarta yeah. shop. Yeah, okay, that's, that's that is chance. fair. You, you are almost guaranteed to be right there. I, I'm I'm pretty sure you're oh, yeah. right there. Like they probably <laughs> realize that it's less like finicky people who are going for the paramilitary too, and so they're like, yeah. you know, it, you know, it'd be hilarious if um the base paramilitary two came tip down 
but the sprints and exotic steals came t- came tip up. <laughs> <laughs> that, That'd be a really good like tongue in cheek thing. That would actually be so funny, but I I don't know. I don't buy this. So. <laughs> um. So I guess let's all talk about the drop shut and hydraulic thing. Ooh, what's you guys's yeah. What's you guys's preference? Because you already know mine. Mine is drop shut, but mostly because if I'm uh, using a knife and I care about the closing at all, I'm using it one handed and I may not always be in a position to close it, but it's not a massive preference. I have both. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can probably still close one handed, you know, I know it's just quicker. Usually when I'm, if I can like shake it instead of like having to uh, close it with my index finger, which is normally how I do it. So it's. Um, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a very slight thing in my opinion. I like I said I own both. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Um, for me, I I actually enjoy both in terms of how how they feel. I enjoy them equally. Uh, so what it comes down to is, I think drop shut is obviously faster, right? It's just closing faster. So yeah. if I can drop shut sh- uh, safely, so like a compression lock or an axis lock, and my fingers are out of the way. I love drop shut. Like that's just hundred percent of the time it should be drop shut. If my fingers are not in the way Mm -hmm. Um, for a knife that I'm just playing with, I don't care if my fingers are in the way or not. So drop shut or hydraulic are both okay. But for a knife that I am working with, it has to be hydraulic closed. It can't be drop shut. If assuming my fingers are in the way, like if I, yeah. So if I'm working with it and my fingers are in the way, like I have to like move a lock bar or something in that case, I, I can't do drop shut. Like, I just can't. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. If I'm if I'm like working in with like a liner lock or frame lock knife, it I don't want it to slam shut on my fingers. But I'm normally doing stuff with compression locks anyway, so I don't really mm-hmm. do that too much. But I, I could definitely see that. What yeah, like you, for Eric? example, my oh, well, neon. Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, Eric. What about you? Uh, I'd say probably drop shut. Just it's more fun to fidget with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I don't know, I'm so used to closing them, like just kind of on my nail whenever I go to close them anyway, so like frame locks that it doesn't, yeah. I mean, if they drop shut, if it you know, hits yeah. my nail, it's not going to. A lot of them do, do hit my like customer so preference leaning that way too. Yeah, I think there's a point where people have gotten to where they're just okay with their nails getting scratched, so they just don't care anymore, which is fine. Like <laughs> if you don't care, then I think that's perfectly fine because that is, there is a safe way to close a drop shut knife and if you let it hit your nail that's 100 percent safe mm-hmm. yeah it still like, freaks me out 562 quite a bit and you know the flipper tab comes and hits and that's the first thing it hits and then you can get your thumb out of the way and it's just fine mm-hmm. um actually yeah i, w- I actually want to ask the same question that jacob did uh do you ha- is there like customer preference you think uh eric like do you see, like people that come to the shop do, the, do they prefer one way or the other um yeah, it's kind of hard to say. I, I did have one, like, <laughs> there was probably a 10 or 12-year-old kid that came in with his dad one time, and uh, he was looking at some, like, decent, you know, 50 to $100 knives for his first knife, and uh, I forget what I was showing him, but he's like, I think I'm going to go with this one, and his dad was like, well, what do you like more about that one? He goes, uh, I like the way it drops shut. <laughs> but, but oh, no. I, I lost it. That's interesting because there was no external influence, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was so it's, like first knife. Like they're getting him at a young age. <laughs> this is, this is, he secretly watches Nick Shabazz. What are they home. called the Zoomers? <laughs> oh, God. Is that a thing? What? Zoomers? It, aren't they called the Zoomer generation? Yeah. I am. Uh, well, technically. Yes, yes, it is. Generation Z. 
I am a I am I technically a zoomer, actually. It's my my what? age. Yeah, I am a zoomer, technically. I'm Wait, twenty years I thought we were all like millennials. I'm twenty years Wait, old. Up now or something? I'm twenty years old. Uh the kids nowadays that are born uh, after twenty ten are generation alpha. They're the Wait, ones what that... what what's the cutoff for a zoomer? Which means Omega's up next. Um the cutoff is basically like fifteen to twenty years, so it's like ninety five to twenty ten is Wait, uh, what? It's Gen Z. Uh, wait, yeah. hold up. I'm 96. Yeah, so you're probably a zoom. You're I'm a zoomer. Cusp. You're cl- you're on the cusp of being. Oh my a zoomer god! No, I'm millennial. a zoom in the other direction. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, that's a little bit of a tangent, but it it, it is interesting. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, 1981 to 1996 is millennial. So yeah, and the Gen Z is yeah below that. Yeah, yeah I, I like the way it zooms shut. <laughs> yeah so that kid oh, was no. probably Nash between dabs. zoomer he was probably he's probably closer to an alpha than a zoomer um yeah but still. Right. god i'm old i mean it makes sense you know the boomers they like to slowly open it with the nail nick and then the zoomers like the zoom shut <laughs> oh gosh this is a bit of a tangent but um Quick shout out to Cedric and Ada, Gear and Outdoors. Pete, if you haven't watched this Buck One Ten like Uncle Randy review, go watch it real quick. It's 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 so good. I haven't I haven't watched it yet, but I do really go enjoy watch it, man. I really do enjoy Gosh. Cedric's uh, videos. He's so he's funny, very funny. Even his, I actually he's reviewed like his cats, I think, and in yes, in extreme uh, detail, um, which is very interesting. I mean, that's how he is. Um, but getting back on track, let, uh, let's move on to like hollow versus flat grind. Um, personally, I'm, I, I could care less about this. I don't really have a big preference. I have all kinds of flat or hollow grind knives. Like hollow ground is the only way to go. Um, if you like flat grinds, you're definitely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Flat is Um, justice. (laughs) New Brian was going to say that. No, I have both too. I I have no preference really either way. As long as it cuts, I'm I'm, Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not like a, like Brian, probably has cut more cardboard than i have and ever will in my entire life so like he's more he's more of a cutter like i mean i don't know i i i use my knives like i i cut open amazon boxes every now and then and i i I open pack or like you know packaging on things but uh, i break down cardboard but i i Again, not nearly as much as he does. He just well, does yeah. it for testing. I just do it for practicality. Yeah, I yeah. break down. I break down cardboard when I need to, but it's not like I have. Yeah, it's not like an everyday. I, it's not thing. like I have a hundred feet of triple layered cardboard just sitting around that I'm going to start cutting through. To I thought all well, knife guys had hundred feet I, of triple layered <laughs> just sitting around. Yeah, just like in the in the storage closet. But um, there is there are some arguments that I want to address on this category, um, just because I think there's a little bit of like arguing in bad faith and misinformation going around uh, with respect to hollow versus flat uh specifically so something's for example like so i i prefer flat but i'm not going to crap on hollow because i cut with both and they both perform pretty well depending on the you know the use case and like the bte and all that um mm-hmm. but like you know sometimes what people will say is hey a hollow is not good because um this you know how there are shoulders Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It with the material will bunch up at the shoulders, and that will you know ca- cause binding. That's the argument. Um, and I believe that's that. such a weak well, argument. Well, I yeah. I believed it for a long time because it made sense physically. I was like, okay, that makes sense. There's 
a sudden increase in width, maybe, yeah, sure, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the YouTubers are telling me it's true, so it must be true. <laughs> right. Um, then, you know, I actually cut stuff, and I was like, okay, I'm having zero problem cutting things. <laughs> exactly. Like, it, most of it, the, the slope of it just pushes the material to the side. Right. It never even touches. I, I have never yeah. had it, like, bunch up on the shoulders of a mm-hmm. hollow grind. Right. No, so, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's not going to be like, um, I, I don't know. It, I, at that point, when you're cutting, like, through cardboard like that like when it's up at the spine of the blade it's already acting like a wedge you know like yeah basically it's so wide there anyway. yeah so regardless of it being a hollow or a flat grind it's not really going to make that much of a noticeable difference between you know the cutting performance yeah you know no for sure and the other argument i've heard is um well you can't cut an apple with a hollow grind and that's kind of true, but that's like, to some extent, that's like, yes, the flat will cut better than the hollow for an, an apple and, you know, some foods. Uh, that being but said... If you're cutting an apple, it's not like you're doing super hardcore cutting anyway, right. is it really? Yeah, it, it, you know. I don't know. I, don't, I think it's such a, it's such an occasional thing, if anything, and it's not like the hollow can't do it. I just don't know. How many apples are you cutting? Like, you just... Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a situational thing. If you're talking about for like um, folding knives, then probably not that many that it matters. Right, right, right. Like um, how many times um, do you pick out your Medford and you need to cut some apples and oh you're like, God. well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I just don't see it. I, heard, I don't think it's an honest argument. One thing I've heard is that, um, and Brian, you may be able to correct me or um, – you know, tell me if I'm right on this. Um, hollow grinds will stay uh, thinner behind the edge for longer as far as sharpening them. Yes, yes. Um, but, of course, uh, flat grinds are normally slightly more durable um, and less likely to, to chip or break. Like yeah, that. yeah. There's definitely more edge stability behind a flat grind because there's more material supporting the edge. But when you sharpen it, it'll increase in thickness faster. So that makes sense. It, it is it is genuinely a, just a trade-off. It is not one is better than the yeah. other. It is... Do you want um, longevity for your knife in terms of sharpening, or do you want it for the shorter term to just perform better? Because mm-hmm. um, a flat grind will like. So I, I've done some testing on this before, but basically, um, a flat grind at a lower BTE or a lower behind the edge thickness is going to be tougher than a hollow grind at the same behind the edge thickness. Obviously, right? Because there's less material supporting it. But that goes like. For, uh, there, there, let's not give. I'm not going to give an exact number because it depends on the steel and the HRC and all that. But for for an example, like let's say five thousandths behind the edge flat grind versus a twelve thousandths behind the edge hollow grind, they will be approximately the same amount tough, and you know the same amount impact, the same amount of impact resistance. But because it's five thou, um, you know the flat grind will cut better. But as you use it over time, that five thou flat grind will become a twelve thou flat grind and at that point the hollow grind will still be 12 thou and will start outperforming the flat grind yeah so you know it's that that's how i see it is that it's the flat grind is more of like more of a time bomb but like a very effective time bomb and the hollow is more of like a consistent like here's your performance you know yeah and i think you can negate some of that too if you're you know cautious in how you sharpen you're not taking off a ton of material Right, and obviously for a flat, flat grind, grind like you can also regrind and stuff like that too. Same, same as you can do with hollow. So you can argue that if you're going to regrind as well, then the flat grind is always just going to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, there's that as well. But yeah, but I definitely think it's more of an opinion based thing than a actual like, oh, hollow grinds bunch up and bind, so they're just bad, you know. So 
Yeah, I think all of these topics that we're covering are, are really good because they're they're all down to preference. There's no black and white mm-hmm. here. Um, even on the next topic, the steel, there's there's no right or wrong answer necessarily. Yeah, there there really isn't. Yeah. And you know that super well, Brian, because you work with people requesting these steals and uh you know, right and you know it's like it's it, and it's so sweet because when it comes to steel like especially okay christmas is coming up so a lot of my orders are christmas gifts okay yeah. and so people say oh i want to get you know my husband or my friend or whatever a really nice knife um can you give me some advice on the steel and obviously they they come thinking that they have to spend a lot on the steel in order to get a good steal mm-hmm. when in reality um you know, you can like there's like some like in different ways, some steels that are cheaper will actually outperform much more expensive steels. Right. Uh, yeah, it depends on the use right. case. Exactly. So I tell them, you know, hey, there are trade offs and, you know, you don't actually have to spend this much money to get a nice knife like, you know, for your mm-hmm. special person. Like uh, a good example of that is with chef knives. Actually, probably the best example is chef knives because um, a lot of chef knives uh, today use 440C. Right. Yeah. And 440C is like – this is a topic for another day, but I just think the the, the chef knife market is like the biggest scam. <laughs> it is because the steels are – like I've, I've been looking for like good kitchen knives. They're all crap. Yep. Yeah. I don't, and, the, and the, the steels thing is, are just they could, garbage. Yeah, and the steel doesn't need to be that expensive. Like you can spend 5 to $10 on AEBL. You can get like – yeah, exactly, AEBL. Or if you want to go a little bit higher, LC200N. Yep. But 440C on like a $300 kitchen knife is insane. Yeah, and so I'll tell them, you know, like, oh, well, you definitely don't want 440C, right? You definitely do not want that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that being said, you also don't need Banax, like just right. for like a, a casual gift, right? Um, mm-hmm. We can we can find a happy, not even a medium, but lower than a medium that is still good. And that would be AEBL, which is equivalent to 14C28N, which is a Sandvik steel. Uh, that steel, it's not going to hold an edge as long as like your super steels, but it's going to take a very fine edge because it has a lot of edge stability and it's very cheap and it's very stainless. So it's still a very good steel for kitchen knives. So, yeah. So if someone gets this as a gift, they're not into knives. That's like a perfect steel. for Right. Them. And it's even if they're into knives, I, I would be happy with an ABL kitchen knife. Like that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. will it hold an edge as long as LC200N, which is a little bit more? No, but at that point, you know price is a factor right you know you'd be paying maybe twenty dollars more um and that's that's fine if you want to pay that right like you know my mom i had her using an abl kitchen knife that i made for like two years and now she's using an lc200n1 and even she notices like i didn't tell her uh the steel is different or anything she was like oh this one stays sharper longer and i was like yeah you know that's interesting because um, <laughs> because it does right it's just that's how yeah. <laughs> that's how it is yeah so that whole kitchen now knives. make it one in <laughs> yeah <laughs> That whole kitchen knives, like, you know, that they use bad steels. That's, that's like a whole debate we could get into for a long time. I feel like yes, just talking yes. about, cause yeah, it's, it's a very saturated market of crap steels. We should try to get Frogger on and talk about kitchen <laughs> know, knives for, a- <laughs> um, as far as I think, what do they use for like Victorinox chef knives? I can't remember what blade steel they use for um, those. Gosh, if you hadn't said it, I could have told you. Um, <laughs> Um, it's like a it's a weird it's a weird name hold on i can find it right uh, now uh it's the, the one you want to look for is the victorinox it's like Inox. fibrox uh let me find the that's the name of the knife let me find the steel uh, like i don't do a ton of cooking so 
I've got an eight inch Victorinox at home and it works decent for whatever I need to. You, you probably have you know, the I've really good stuff wait, about the Victorinox you, knives. Did you say you have an eight inch Victorinox? Yeah. You probably have yeah. the Fibrox. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is the Fibrox. Okay, well, I don't. I don't know yep. what steel it is. Let me see. Um, I know. I was trying to look it up. I couldn't find it, but I like, can't for somebody find anything that's on it. Just wants a. Well, it is a stainless steel. Used to like <laughs> and stuff. That's usually what I I've heard really good stuff about the Victorinox uh, kitchen knives, actually. If I had so, to guess, it's either VG10 or 440. It's definitely something. not VG10. It's definitely not. No. VG10. No, so it's only thirty dollars. Oh, 440. It might be. Probably. It might be lower than 440C actually, because it says dishwasher safe. So. Mm-hmm. That's another good preference for like uh, chef knives and stuff like that. Is like for the steel categories or or even just you know handles and whatever what material you want it uh do you want to be able to dishwash it or not you know that's <laughs> yeah, a oh oh i found the steel it's dishwashing stuff, but... oh my god okay this is the steel x50 crmov 15 that oh that's some cutting edge stuff no pun <laughs> sounds intended. like a very high quality <laughs> steel that i want in every folder that I own. <laughs> mm-hmm. But hey, I mean, that's the thing though, like, it still works for a lot of people. You know? No, yeah, yeah that... I mean, you just gotta picture, like, how much you're using. Certainly if I'm something that I use all day, mm-hmm. every day, go for something high, higher end, but for yeah, that of course. price range. Like, if, if you're a professional chef, you're looking at something with an extra zero behind it, but for just home use, that's gonna be fine. It's gonna be yeah. great, better than most people's current knives, I'm yep. sure. In comparison to what most people have, you know, the hub there. Chicago cutlery or whatever. Yeah, I think like yeah. Uh, or Walmart you know brand stuff that just garbage. Most people are using like fobberware, and even that is like yeah, big. That's big to them. Like my my family's knives back home. That it's like god awful steel. It's like I I don't I could what. The ones we have here currently are just yep. trash. I, hate I you them could so much. you could snap it in half. You know, it's like it's they're not sharp. You know, they don't keep an edge. They're just crap. So. Yeah, yeah, and I hate trying to even sharpen some of those like just really crappy kitchen knives. No, it just, it's like it's a oh yeah, thing. that's the thing. It's actually harder to sharpen a bad steel than yep. a decent steel. It's a fruitless yeah, endeavor. Like I've sharpened mine sharpener. a few times and it, it sharpens up nicely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't even understand some pull through like even pull through sharpeners. Sharpeners, some of them are scams. Like there's, there. <laughs> I remember going to my uh, grand grandma's house and this is before i really know anything about knives but like to sharpen her knives they used like this pull through sharpener but it was it was literally i don't really think this it's okay so it's this tiny little like um kind of like matchbox sized uh plastic piece with two uh two wobbly just quarter sized metal wheels and that, that's oh, like, no. that's the sharpener. I'm oh, like, no. there's no way it's doing anything <laughs> but dulling the knife. You know, <laughs> it's not even held at a consistent angle because the wheels are so wobbly. They literally just wobbled around like oh, no. on, on every axis. So like when you. So it looks like a factory grind. Yeah. <laughs> when you, oh when my you, God. So when you would pull it through the wheel, like, and, you know, imagine the wheels are like, you know, both vertical and like facing each other. Like yeah, yeah, when yeah. you pull it, when you pull it through, the wheels would turn in, you know. Ugh. So like they're scraping against. Like that's it's not doing anything. 
Well, it is um, doing something. <laughs> well, it's doing something, but God, I don't know. It's just a funny tangent I thought I'd share. Yeah, well, I, that that's gonna that's inspiring me to start an even larger tangent. So, <laughs> on, on the topic of bad pull through sharpeners, have you guys heard of Catcher Sharp? Nope. No. So, well, you got, I, I mentioned Catcher to you guys before, but um, you know how? Yeah. Oh, what does that stand for? Just for our viewers, let me find that real quick. Uh, so, Catcher stands for. The Cutlery Allied Trades Research Association. So basically they do research on cutlery, right? On edge retention, HRC, stuff like that. Um, so one of the things that is supposed to be good about Catra is that they're supposed to be completely scientific. Um, so minimal human involvement. So like, you know how criticism of cut tests is like a person will like cut cardboard at varying amounts of pressure and stuff like that because you know, mm-hmm. it's a human hand. So the Catra machine, um, it has a knife that's held by a robot arm, and it just moves it back and forth as it cuts silicone impregnated cardstock, and that's how they determine how much was cut. So the pressure is always the same. Huh. Interesting. Um, but and that's cool. But uh, their Catra Sharp machine is literally a pull-through sharpener that's operated by a human being. So it's like what you said, except like a little bit more advanced where it's like uh, the sharpener and then two wheels and you just pull it through the wheels. Yeah. And oh my goodness, I don't even know what to think about the results. Uh, I, I should give context, but basically the community funded um, Alchemy One, his name is Clint, to send four knives to capture for testing. It costs like $600. Mm-hmm. just to test the knives oh, that's expensive for just to test knives and so he got rockwell tests vicar tests and the cutting test and when they came back the knives the edges were all wobbly or like they some knives became recurves from how bad the sharpening was um there were rockwell tests like in random places like on laser engravings which you can't do it on or on the primary bevel which you, if you know anything about rockwell tests you can't do it on the primary bevel because it's a slope and yeah. you have to do a Rockwell test on a flat surface. So yeah. um, that was those are all this improper testing was done. And so uh, I, yeah, I, I, I think rem- that, uh, yeah. I remember seeing that in the Discord and being just flabbergasted at just the, what it looked like. You know, like all the r- random like Rockwell testing points, even on the mm-hmm. primary grind, like yeah. just wild. Now – the reason I bring that up is because we're talking about steel, right? Yep. And when you think about how people develop their preferences on what steel they like, the reality is that most people did not take every single steel at different hardnesses and cut tests with them, right? Like your average consumer does not have the time or the money to do that. So what they do is they either listen to what the companies say or they listen to what YouTube reviewers who have used those knives um, at the you know purported steel and hardness uh what they say yeah um now the reason i bring up catra is because companies send their knives to catra for testing and that's how they decide oh m390 at 56 hrc is good you know (laughs) so that's how that decision is made they send it to catra and the shady thing is that when you send knives to catra they destroy them after they don't send them back to the companies interesting Yeah, so when you think about it that way, it's like, oh, I I don't blame the companies. Uh, Well, they should be a little bit more like, hey, we want to see the knives and verify the results, in my opinion. But I don't don't blame the company for any shady business. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, but for Catra, I'm looking at them and I'm like, I think they're the reason why so many companies think their knives are good when they're not. Yeah, I, I can see that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so maybe you're maybe you're Spyderco. You send your knives to Catra. Um, you know, you do like 58 HRC LC 200N, and in order to make you happy, Catra says, "Oh, your results are great." You mm-hmm. know, and then they destroy the knives. And then yeah. Spyderco will tell the forum people, "Hey, we spent a lot of money on testing, and the results came back good." Right? Perfectly honest on the spider on the part of Spyderco, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us end users, we're getting in the end, we're not getting a good knife. Yeah. Right. So I think that that's important to keep in mind when you're looking at your preferences is who are you getting your information from? Um, Even if the people you get information from are trustworthy themselves, maybe they got their information from people who aren't honest and trustworthy. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I I, I think the world of Sal, for example, of Spyderco, I think he's a perfectly stand up dude. And, you know, I love Spyderco as a company and I have Spyderco knives. But, you know, do I trust catcher results that they have? Hell right. no. <laughs> right? you know, so. Well, you know, everyone's everyone's still a person and and people can just anyone can have extreme misperceptions about things. And, you know, a lot of people might pick up their preferences from those people that have misperceptions. So, you know, you, I guess the best thing to say is just, you know, take everything with a grain of salt and be skeptic sometimes. Uh, yeah, you know? I, I, I think that's 100 percent what people have to do. Mm-hmm. Um but I definitely think the last thing people should do, because, you know, one of the things that comes with talking about preferences is how we develop them, right? Yeah. Um, I think people need to avoid, like, you know, going on Blade forums or going on, you know, like a random thread somewhere and just seeing what people say anecdotally about steels based on what they heard companies and, you know, YouTube reviewers say, because it's it's just not verified information. Mm-hmm. Um. And you know that's like you can be you can be the most stand up YouTube reviewer, right? Like the most honest, trustworthy person. But you know, just because you're trustworthy doesn't mean you can't give bad information, right? Like I do it sometimes too, right? I've said before I've been I was wrong about uh what did I say earlier that I was wrong about? Uh, I said it somewhere. Everything. <laughs> I, I, something. Oh, holograms. I said I was wrong about holograms <laughs> and how they and how oh, yeah, they yeah, bind, yeah. right? I I genuinely believed that they binded. So I told people that, but um, I, but I, I happened to be wrong, right? And I wasn't lying or trying to lie. It's just that yeah. that's what I genuinely believe. It, it was a misperception. It was a misperception. Yeah. So I think that happens with YouTube reviewers, right? They get a knife. They are told by the company that it's whatever HRC. Then they test it and they say, at this HRC, this knife is poo-poo, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it yeah. could be that it's not even that HRC, right? Like you don't even know. So right. mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't independently Rockwell tested, right? So I mean – there's the, I just that's that was the point of this topic, I guess, just to tell people, you know, preferences, they are somewhat subjective. Um, they need to be based on objective fact, though. Right. And we need to be careful how we develop them and be open to changing our minds, basically. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. OK. So, so how um, should we treat people who are new to the hobby? Um, well, I always. I don't think it's, you know, wrong necessarily to share your preferences with someone new to the hobby, right? Yeah, just explain why you like the things you do. And when you do it, don't just tell them like, hey, hollow grinds are better than flat grinds. Just they always are. Um, Make sure to explain yourself and and maybe see what their use case is and make possible recommendations or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And answer as many questions as you can because it's there's a lot of questions when you start in this hobby and you realize how deep it goes. 
at least for me, there were a lot of things that I had no idea about. Yeah, you know? I think the best thing to do is if someone enters a forum or a thread or a Discord server or whatever, and they say, hey, I'm new, uh, what, what should I do about this? People, they jump to answering, right? They'll be like, mm -hmm. oh, you should buy this or you should buy that. This is better than this. And I think the first thing that people should do is to ask questions back. Like, what is your use case, right? What is your budget? What is um, what kind of things do you like doing with your knives, right? Like, you know, what do you expect from your knives? No, yeah, um, that's actually yeah. a very good point. Uh, a very good um, difference between um, subreddits like Knife Club and something like, like um, I don't know, r slash build a PC or r slash, yeah, that's, that's a good example. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the PC community that are like, you know, they're like, I'm building a, comp a computer. What? you know, what, sh what, what processor should I buy or what, what, how much Ram should I get? And a lot of times, at least I've noticed in those, those subreddits, um, people start out with, well, what are you using it for? Are you using it for hardcore gaming or are you using it for productivity? You know? And, and if, if so, if so, this is what you should, um, buy. This is what processor you should yeah, get. Yeah. They'll make them like a whole yeah, build list. And exactly. It's perfectly suited to what they need in mm -hmm. their budget. Didn't do that. Yeah. With yeah. yeah. People, yeah, people <laughs> post on r slash knife club or r slash knives or something. They're like, Hey, I'm new to the hobby. I don't know what I should get. What knife should I get? That is around $100. And then blah, 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 blah. You know, everybody starts typing. Shouting out. Yeah. Suggestions. Yeah. Exactly. Randomly upvoting some comments, downvoting other comments. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's what happens. And that's, we, and, we, and every time, every time I see those threads, I never see the question asking person as the top comment, right? Trying to get more information, you know? Just, no, they're at the, yeah, bottom, they're at the bottom and they don't have an answer. Yeah. So uh, I think I think we need to be more on the, um, uh, like, yeah, you're right. The question asking side of things where we're saying, what's your use case for this knife, you know? Or, like, what? why do you want this knife? Or, like, if someone says, like, I want a $100 knife, around a hundred dollars we should say well what would you use it for or like what are your state laws or carrier restrictions or whatever you know ask yes, just ask yes. questions and also realize that the way you ask questions is really important it's the same as like if you ever did like um the science of ask of conducting surveys right how you ask a question influences how people answer right Oh, definitely. So one thing you shouldn't ask is, do you care about corrosion resistance? Like, because they're gonna say yeah, like yes. any new person is gonna, you know what I mean? But like, if anything, be like, hey, you know, do you do you work in places where steel rusts regularly or something like that? Don't right or do you ever, do you ever like, leave do you your knife in places where it might be wet or humid? Right. Um, yeah. Do you, are you gonna put them in the dishwasher? Yeah, like you know, yeah, basic <laughs> questions. Uh, so I, I think people need to just you know. We're a community, and we're we're a small community where we always enjoy when people join it, right? And where when it grows, and so the best way to do that is to. I, I don't want to. I'm, I'm not a person who dates, but like even when you're dating, right? You instead of talking about what you like all the time, you should ask what the person who's you know new likes, right? And you know what what their preferences are, and sort of go. Yeah, or you're that. not going to find if you're compatible. Same thing with the knives. If they don't have those questions asked, they may buy something, you know, like I've asked before about knife knife stuff and 
ton of times like a Benchmade 940. Just go buy the 940. 940. Mm-hmm. And then I bought it. I bought the 940. I bought the 940 so many times. I have one right now. Actually, I bought another one. <laughs> I, I can't stand them. They're just not for me. Well, I, I, but they're so yeah. popular in the community that you yeah, know. you get yeah. recommended it so often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Constantly. And same thing with PM2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing is, at the time that I was recommended the 940, um, I've always been into blades, right? Blade geometry. So it was like, you know, terrible for me at the time. Then, you know, now I'm like, well, I'll just regrind it. So it's different now. Now, now it's a different <laughs> knife because I don't, I don't have the same problem with it as I did before. Um, so, but definitely at the time, you know, I told people I really care about knives that cut well. <laughs> and I just kept, here's them that get the 940, get the 940. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so oh. this is probably a good time to finally get to the meat and potatoes of the guest topic. Um, because you know, Eric's been a little silent this podcast, so oh, yeah, I'm sorry, now it's yeah. time, <laughs> now it's time for him to, uh, just kind of feeling it out. <laughs> now it's time for Eric to, you know, have this true spotlight. Right. So, um, yeah. I think the best place to start would be Eric. How did you, um, kind of come into the knife world and what made you want to start selling knives? Well, um, I'm like, I've always carried a pocket knife with me ever since I was a kid. Um, just kind of got used to the utility aspect of it. Uh, went to college and became a police officer and did that for a little while and decided it wasn't for me. And, uh, so I was looking for a business to open up and I was like, well, there's not really any higher end knife stores in my area and so just kind of did it on a whim um before then i wasn't even really a huge collector of knives i mean i had a few that i carried namely like the uh, kershaw knockout is one of the big ones that got me really into knives and uh got like a benchmade auto triage um whenever i used to work for the police department and then uh yeah just kind of opened it up on a whim (laughs) Yeah, that's that's really cool. So, yeah, uh, what what knife did you carry first? What was the first? Yeah, uh, the Kershaw Knockout. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yep. I still I carried that for probably five years solid. Wow. Um, once they first oh, wow. came out, and yep. so, so you used to work in? Did you say police department? Is that what you said? Yeah, I worked for um, Indiana University's police department. Oh, wow, that's pretty so cool. So they did like, a, yeah, they did a program to where in between my junior and senior year, I went through the fifteen week academy. And then my senior year worked um, part time mm-hmm. there, and then I worked there full time a little while after. And so Indiana knives is that like because it's the state of Indiana? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back now, it's kind of hard <laughs> to know whether I'd pick the same name or not. I just thought it was kind of recognizable for if people are searching for a place to get knives in Indiana. But like, it's daily where I guess like so. Do you make all of these knives? <laughs> you know, like fifty different brands in there. It's like, uh, no, yeah, I just sell and sharpen. <laughs> so, so how how long have you been um, uh, working at Indiana Knives? Like, how long have you had the business? Yeah, I opened my shop up just about two years ago. Oh wow, I've about two, really. It's two, only two been ago. two years. Gosh. Yep. I mean, I guess I've only been collecting for a few years, but like. Yeah, that's about how long I've been into it, but I've I've seen your company mentioned so many times, especially when I was starting out on Reddit. It's you, there's just like a really good reputation there for yeah. you. And yeah, it's because that's yeah one of the main ways that I got into selling knives online was just through Reddit mm-hmm. and 
just participating through there because I've been on Reddit for years and years, and so it's just kind of a natural place yeah. for yeah. you. It's because Eric sees you commenting on posts. Like I remember when I was first, very first into Knives, and Eric, all of a sudden I get a DM from Indiana <laughs> Knives, and he's like, "Hey, I saw you like this knife. I have it in stock at <laughs> Indiana Knives. <laughs> Check it out." Um. <laughs> And the prices are like too good to turn down most of the time. Yeah, they are really good prices. Um, yep, yeah, it's kind of a fine line with Reddit too, because I, I always hate like the over like advertising and stuff, especially because yeah. it's more of a you know a community based place where I like to just you know get on there and scroll through stuff. But yeah, occasionally you'll see like over advertising and people get kind of mad. Yeah, about it, I which tried. I, I tried to advertise for this podcast, and it was um, I don't know. I only got six upvotes, and I think I got downvoted a lot. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's sad because i'm one of the people yeah that um and i think a lot of the discord upvoted it too so uh it's kind of sad Oof. but um yeah it's really interesting um so you've only been in it for just like a few years wow um so how hard was yep. it to break into the industry like what kind of processes did you need to go through to you know start basically set up a shop well, yeah, it's first business that I've ever opened, so it was definitely a learning experience just trying to figure out what all needs to be done and, you know, just what kind of, like even setting up websites and stuff was just kind of a yeah complete completely new thing to me. But, um, yeah, it was kind of just a gamble because it's hard to even know what, like, your margins and stuff are on knives before you, like, jump in head first and just open up a business like nobody will even talk to you if you just <laughs> yeah. say, hey, i've been thinking about doing this what's your what's your background and stuff mm -hmm. but so kind of just had to jump in head first and learn it as i go so how did you like how did you start did you start by um having contact with the company already like or did you start out selling like your own knives or like buying, you know, I don't know. How did you start out? So yeah, I opened up a small storefront in like downtown Bloomington, Indiana, basically set up that and was picturing it being more like 50, 50 online sales versus in store sales, but it's primarily online sales. I mean, it's just kind of how the market is for, for knives yeah. now, but um, yeah, it just, a little bit, a little bit uh, of a learning experience trying to, because mainly you have to have a storefront in order to become dealers for most brands. Mm -hmm. They won't even give yeah, you they the time of day you unless you have already a, a have an established store. business. Yeah. Yeah. But, so I, I presumed maybe that you, I guess maybe you had to talk to a lot of dealers at like, I don't know, Blade Show or something like that and be like, hey, this is who I am. Look at all what I've done to get like, you know maybe people uh sending you like distributing to you i know you have yeah mostly i just found some distributors online mm -hmm. that i work through it's same distributor that most pretty much every major knife mm -hmm. retailer uses once you found them you just have to fill out all the paperwork in order to become a okay um approved <laughs> vendor right. of so sorts so yeah you really just ha you have to have a storefront in order to even start getting into it so it's kind of you have to kind of work backwards in order to even figure out whether it's a viable market to be in mm -hmm. 
That's interesting because I think, especially for like places like you where it's primarily online sales, if you cut out that storefront, that's a lot of overhead removed for those businesses. But obviously, that's not an option if they won't even you know sell knives to you. To, to that's certainly, that's really interesting. And that's kind of Plaza Cutler. I moved like, from. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry, what did you say? I'm thinking. I was thinking about something like um, there's a shop. It was like the only store near my house, pretty much for a long time, and now it's dead. Uh, but have you heard of Plaza Cutlery? Nope, I have not. No, well, uh, I don't. I don't know if they still have a storefront, but they they used to have a big store and then they moved completely online. And I was just wondering how they still get knives then. Yeah, so mainly you have to have a storefront in order to um, dealers with specific brands, but you can still work with distributors even Ooh. if you don't have a um, have a uh, storefront, but you'll get a lot later access to anything new that comes uh, out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the, so, or even if you get access to it at all, like for example, the shaman sprint that came out, there's no chance you would have gotten that without being a spider code dealer, essentially. Also, <laughs> another know. thing I want to point out, Brian is uh, this is just like personal knowledge because like I talked to the owner of a dealer close to me, um, back in my hometown um but basically like he what he did like he ha- he bought like you know a or he rented a property um for the storefront but he's basically not even there like he don't he'll he'll only come there if you like call him personally and ask him for a knife uh, basically the storefront is yeah. just it's yeah for sure. it's for show basically you know, like you don't even, you can't really go in. It, it was always, he only op- was open on like Sundays from 9 a.m. to 12 a- uh, p.m. So like literally three hours, you know. So, and his sales, you know, he, his was different though because he mostly sold at at blade shows and gun shows is where he did some distri- like distributing and also uh, flea markets for some reason. Uh, so he traveled a lot. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I think like Indiana said, it's like, I guess you just need a storefront, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. It's, it's fun to run, but yeah, it is. It's a lot of time and mainly a lot of overhead involved with it, which is part of the reason I made the change and moved into a uh, shop on the other side of Bloomington. Knew a guy, um, that owned the gun shop and I was like, just came up to him one day and asked if I could take over a section of his showroom and it's worked out pretty well since moved over there and get more and more foot traffic just from people that are mildly interested in knives. And so it's worked out pretty decent because I was downtown and it was just a pain for parking and just trying to get people to find it and stuff. So, and I'd get a lot of random people that would be walking in and be like, Oh, it's $200 for a pocket knife. Why would you ever spend $200 on a pocket knife? That's that's what a lot of people are (laughs) like though, you know? Um, real quick, guys, I'm going to have to hop off on this one, um, but um, it was awesome to talk to you, Eric, and I look forward to listening to the end of this podcast yeah. as well. But uh, okay, thanks, guys. Right, bye, Jake. Yeah, so we'll finish this off with just a few more uh, questions um, for Eric, and then, then we'll conclude. Um, so, yeah, that's actually really interesting. Um, uh, you're, you're like, ch- so when did you change shops? That was pretty recently. Yeah, so I did that. Let's see. That would have been just probably a year and three months ago that I switched. So I just had a year lease that I was in downtown Bloomington and yeah, it was just 
way more overhead than I was expecting. And yeah, just mm-hmm. not as much prime foot traffic. Cause I found that most of the people that come to my shop are coming specifically to visit me. Like I'll have people drive. I think the farthest I've had somebody drive is probably, I think he drove four and a half hours each way. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, um, I mean, there's just not a whole lot of places that you can go and see higher end stuff. Yeah. Around, I know Frankie so. and bird make kind of a little bit of a drive to see you. Um, yeah, they're just up in Indy, so it's about yeah. an hour for them to, I mean, to come down. I mean, I've but, done that before, though. I drove, like, four hours, I think, there and the four hours back from Plaza Cutlery. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a shame, too, because your original shop was very unique-looking. Right. Yeah, it was It was definitely a cool little building. I really liked it yeah. and put a bunch of work into it. It was just kind of in a weird spot mm-hmm. tucked into to downtown Bloomington. Yeah. So it just made a lot more sense to move out mm-hmm. to the other side of town and focus on the uh, online aspect of the business. You probably get some residual gun like um, enthusiast buyers too, right? Since you're in like a gun, yeah, you're sharing a shop now. Definitely some overlap and, you know, interests. I mean, cause I have people that come in specifically to visit me and they go and check out mm-hmm. um, American arms inventory and stuff. So it works out well for the both of us. Mm-hmm. So do you usually have a busy, like a busy day when you're um, at the shop, you know, like what are your hours? Totally random. Uh, so I do 11 to five Monday through Friday. Now I used to do Saturdays, but it just became, I, I was having to take off for, you know, weddings and stuff that I have to go see on weekends and stuff. So I'll just, tried to keep my hours as consistent as possible and move to just Monday through Friday now, but it's just kind of hit or miss. Some days I'll be busy the whole day. Some days I'll talk to like one or two people. Yeah. Just kind of depends. That's yeah. That's really interesting. Um, so wait for people like me who don't really know how dealers work. Uh, Cause I mean, I just don't know any other dealers. <laughs> like how, how does it, how do you decide which knives you get? Like, is that just, do you get to say no to certain knives and be like, eh, I don't really want to stock that knife. Uh, generally I pick and choose everything that I want. It's not like they just send me stuff that I didn't order. Mm-hmm. So I, I just pick, um, you get, but yeah, after you, you get like place a list, your, like, right? opening order with them. Sorry. You get like that? a list, right? Like you, ch- you like check like what, how many knives you want and like of what model or something like that. Kinda. It's different between every single brand, right. like Protec, for example, um, they'll send me a list like once a month of what they have in stock. And I just send them an email back with what I want and they'll let me know if they still have it in stock, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, Do they yeah, have a minimum like different. you have to get this many or else you can't get any? Uh, yeah, it's different. Some places are a thousand, some places are 500, just depends. Um, usually a dollar amount. Um, they'll let you order less than that, but you have to pay shipping on top of it. So ah, I generally I try see. and meet minimums for everything. Interesting. Hmm. Um, Brian, do you have any other questions for? Oh, Eric? I want I want all the insider information. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the, I mean, I just like when I when I look at uh, so first of all, your website looks really nice. By the way, uh, I always like the Indiana yeah. Knives website, um, but uh, Eric's website. I call him Indiana Knives still in my head because no, that's you what can... I see him on, on the Discord. <laughs> um, you know, so I look at all these knives and I always wonder like. How do you decide which ones you're going to feature? Do you just do it based on how many people bought and just go, these are the ones that are popular based on what people bought? Like, what does featured mean? 
a little bit just kind of on random if it's i mean it's just stuff that i kind of cherry pick and if it's something new that i get in i'll add to it but yeah it, with one of the aspects of running my business versus like a large retail like you know one of the giants in the knife industry is working with what capital i have to work with so i have to cherry pick which knives i'm going to stock it's not like i just mm-hmm. you know have a million dollars worth of inventory to work with and can order every single model like so for a lot of Wii, that is for example skill, right? they may come out with a model but they have 18 different colors of it it's like <laughs> i can't stock 250 dollars yeah knives yeah. just in slightly different tints of green but um yeah, so I have to kind of cherry pick what I like and also have to go a little bit by the margins. There's some brands that I stock just because I like them, but they're not entirely feasible um, to stock price margin wise, but it varies widely um, mm. brand by brand. Would okay. you say that's like a skill you have to develop as a dealer, like deciding which knives uh, are going to be popular or like which knives are going to be a big enough hit that you can sell them all? Yeah, it's it's kind of like gambling a little bit. I mean, <laughs> just in terms of knowing how much you should order, just trying to guess on whether this particular model is going to be super popular. Like the Crew Carta Shaman that we keep going back to, it's just like I have no idea how many I should order of those. You just kind of all of them have to guess. <laughs> yeah, get as many as <laughs> knowing, you can. Knowing that now, yeah, I would I ordered as many as humanly possible. But yeah, it's just if you're wrong you're stuck with a lot of inventory i mean there's a lot of money tied up into that right as well, so i mean that was definitely a misperception that i had um i thought it was completely obvious they were all going to sell out instantly like that was just me personally i was like these are all going to be gone like and then i didn't realize that um you know because obviously for you you actually you're the one who's actually putting your money into it right and like investing and yeah. so you have to be more careful about the risk so I wasn't thinking in terms of like, oh, dealers should all just try to buy. I, to me, I was thinking, how do dealers divvy it up? Because I assumed every single dealer would want as many as possible. That's what I assumed. Yeah. And yet, but it's also hard to judge. Like I'm basing that off of the day that it was released. I get an email about it and it's like, I don't know how popular this is going to be. I haven't heard any, you know, the, anybody talking about it yet or anything. Right. And you kind of have to place your order right then. Right, so you have to predict well into the future before any of the like <laughs> yeah. the Instagram like posts order, or anything. Yeah, yeah, some of the like Spiderco models and stuff I have ordered six months out in advance. Like, for example, the Sage Five Lightweight mm-hmm. that's coming out. I ordered that, you know, quite a while ago. It's just kind of you have to plan in advance for what you think they're going to be. Yeah, that sounds very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that about like. Eric's world as a dealer, like, like how much planning he has to go into just to, um, buy a like, or have a, a selection of certain knives. Right. Cause everything is an investment. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I've, that's kind of one of the things I want to do. I, like I hate back order systems and stuff too, where I don't like the idea really of taking people's money before I have product in store. And I've kind of ran into that before just, not not worth it in my mind and so i like to be able to ship stuff whenever people pay for it like immediately mm-hmm. um, yeah definitely. i think customers I think, like that too i think don't you like ship my knife like in a day <laughs> i think my steel wool cut jack you shipped in like literally as soon as i sent the order in so that's that's always awesome 
Yep, yeah, it's dealing with lower volume. There's definitely benefits to in terms of shipping too. Just that's one of my primary focuses is to get stuff out as fast as it comes in, just so I can stay on top of it. Yeah. So, so yeah. No, go ahead, Brian. Oh, I was going to ask them how deep are you in terms of like collecting yourself? Like, is it more of like a thing that you know, like you collect some knives and you just like like to just play with those or do you are you like always like wanting to like collect more knives yourself like i don't know like some of us like to just collect a lot of knives for no reason but <laughs> i was just wondering how so you see it. it it kind of puts me in a unique spot because in one hand i don't like to buy a lot of knives that i can't stock and sell um just because like if i'm if i'm carrying something and somebody asks me what i have i want to be able to sell it to them instead of being like hey, this is a one-off that you won't have access to or it's some, not something that I sell. Mm-hmm. So in one term, that kind of limits my collecting, but also I have an inventory to play with, so whenever I want to check out new knives, I don't necessarily have to to keep them. Like if I just want to hold them, I'll order stuff in just because I think it's cool and decide whether I want to keep it or not or sell it just by, you know, giving it a once over so it is a benefit to running my own shop and it allows me to keep my collection a little bit on the smaller side so i probably only have seven or eight knives in my personal collection right because you can always be, you can always handle a lot of knives whenever yeah it kind of <laughs> helps me tone down the uh the urge to buy a bunch of different things so Yes. Namely, probably just have my 562 um, zero tolerance. I have a Kaiser Gemini, a Chaparral lightweight, and my Protec Magic. I have that Benchmade Auto Triage, Benchmade Phaeton. I've got a Steel Will uh, Cut Jack, just as kind of my camp knife. But those are pretty much my my go-to's for my weekly rotation. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, actually, that you would keep it small. <laughs> um, so, uh, Brian, do you have any other oh. questions? We should probably wrap up the podcast. Um, yeah, no, uh, I'm good. Uh, but we should uh, do the giveaway really quick. All right, got it. Mr. Citric Acid Cycle. Isn't that like a biology thing? Like biochem? uh probably is that on reddit or instagram instagram Instagram. okay well congratulations to mr citric acid cycle on your new knife oh Um, yes yes so you can basically just uh to claim it um i'm uh, brian will uh, he, he will dm you and you will probably already have been in contact with him by the end of this podcast. But, um, but he's going to DM he me. Will no, DM. no, he DMs me, man. He DMs me. He DMs you? <laughs> yeah. You can well, just, then how do you, you know he just... watched the podcast? No. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, we'll get into contact with you at some sort of uh, Okay, have him – here's the easier way. Have him email his address. Uh, wait, no, that's stupid because I don't know if it's his email. Hold on. I need to think about this better. Oh, have him DM me his address. Just that simple. Yeah. Have him DM me his yeah. address. Just okay. DM it to Anyways. Behind the Edge uh, podcast page. Yeah. The Instagram. Yes. Easy. Mr. Citric Acid Cycle, please DM your address to 
the at beyond the behind the edge podcast Instagram page for your yes. new custom knife. Um, so this basically concludes our podcast. I want to give a big thanks to Eric for being our very first guest on this podcast. It was um, fantastic having you. Um, you can find Eric, you can find, you can buy Eric, uh, buy knives from Eric at indianadives.com and also find him basically anywhere. If you just search Indiana knives and you can also talk to him personally on our discord server, which you can find in the, um, sidebar of the old Reddit version of r slash knife club. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, Eric, I appreciate you, want... you guys having me. It was pretty nice talking to you guys. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so uh, I will see you all on the next podcast. Cheers.